Welcome to the Hanover Valley Podcast, a ministry of Hanover Valley Presbyterian Church. We are located at 133 Carlisle Street in downtown Hanover, Pennsylvania. Check out the rest of our website at hanovervalley.org. Thank you for listening. Turn, if you will, to the text we'll be looking at today from the book of Mark, Mark's Gospel, the biography of Christ where he strings together selective stories, selective moments out of Christ's life to, to give us a, a real picture of who he is, a, 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 as it were, a scrapbook of, of photos, a, a series of uh, string together these, this, these snapshots of who Jesus is to teach us more about himself. And when we see the real Jesus, the, the contention is when you see the real Jesus, when you understand who he is um, in his essence, um, you can't help but fall about him. A woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Cyrene, Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, For such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to uh, to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hand on him, on the man. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spat, touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said, Ephephah, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened and his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them to tell, not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your grace and for the hope that you give us. Thank you for the mercy that you provide. Lord, thank you for your word uh, that you've given us that that shows us yourself, your son, and the power that you have to overcome uh, uh, the suffering of this world, but Lord, the suffering that goes on inside of our hearts. You come to mend us and to restore us and to, to draw us back to yourself. We ask all this in Jesus' name. For his sake we pray. Amen. Uh, the, the title for the sermon today, um, For Such a Worm as I, is from a, is from a, uh, a hymn written by um, Isaac Watts. Alas, and did the Savior bleed, and did the Sovereign die. Um, and the, the, uh, the, point, the point was you know, that he would give his precious blood for such a worm as I, is the, is the way the line goes. There's a... Uh, there's a story, and I think the story is uh, uh, of, a, of a moment in the life of, of uh, Spurgeon, the preacher in, in London, 
um, who after a sermon where they or after a, a worship service where they use this song in the service, he was at, at, at the back as pastors, I guess, used to stand at the back of the church to make people have to shake their hand before they left. Um, be grateful we don't do that here. Um, he, uh, he was there, and a, and a woman a woman came to the door and, so, and said, and I think this is how the story goes, a legend, as it were. She says to him, um, uh, Dr. Spurgeon, um, that song we sang today, don't you find it, don't you find it quite offensive? For such a worm as I, she says, as if to be affirmed in some fashion. She says, my goodness, my woman, my dear woman, I, I do find it offensive, entirely offensive. It's wonderful that you would pick it out in this such, such it is an amazing offense to the worm. Yeah, I imagine she clutched her pearls and left the church at that point. Um, the reason I tell you that, the reason I, I, the reason I uh, use that as the sermon title is because there's a little bit of that, and, that and, may, and probably not a little bit, there's more than a little bit of that going on in this passage. When we read this first story, there are two stories. There's a story of, of Jesus' encounter with an outsider, with a, with a, with a Greek woman, uh, and then an encounter with another Jewish man a little bit later on. And these two encounters teach us something about how we encounter, how we approach, how we, how we connect, how we trust Jesus. And the first story teaches us about the trust, and the second story teaches us why we can trust him in that way and, and how that trust is developed. In, in the uh, encounter with this... Uh, uh, as, it, uh, as it's probably titled in yours, the, the encounter with a Syrophoenician woman. Um, Jesus' um, response to her seems a little insulting. Here she's coming, trying to get a miracle, asking him, you know, seeking out to get some sort of uh, grace from him, and he, and he says, we can't give bread to dogs. My goodness. Jesus. Um, and in this encounter, we, disco we, discover a couple, we, we discover a number of things about what is necessary for, to trust Jesus, what is necessary when we, when, we, when we give him our, when we put our faith in him, what real faith, what authentic faith looks like. Um, and authentic faith, the, the first thing we encounter with this woman, this, this Greek outsider, is that... Uh, Authentic faith does not, uh, does not um, allow detours to get in the way. Um, so a number of what I'm gonna, what, the way that I'm going to pose this, these pro this process is, or the, looking at faith is that it's what it doesn't have. It doesn't have detours. It doesn't deny. It doesn't deserve. It doesn't diminish. And it doesn't delay. Notice how I got all that alliteration in there just for your... Well, the, de the, detour, the detour that we see here that, and that she does not take is that Jesus is trying to hide. He's trying to keep quiet. He's trying to, he's trying to manage the process and the, and, the, uh, and the pilgrimage to the cross. He's trying to manage it as uh, 
Because he is, the, he is the Lord of our salvation. He is the Lord of this process. And so he's managing his time. He's constantly telling people, don't tell, don't tell what, just, what has just happened to you. He's, he's, as it were, he's gone outside of the region of Galilee. He's gone outside of his general uh, of his stomping grounds, as it were, in order to get some rest, in order to keep things, uh, to, to let things simmer down because there's been so much going on, feeding of 5,000 people and, and very many other uh, miracles that have happened. And he's trying to manage that process. And the thing that you notice about this woman's faith is that she doesn't let anything get in her way to get to Jesus. She is an outsider, she knows that there is no, she's a woman, number one. And in a world, that was, in a world in a day and age when, when uh, it, was, it was a male-driven, patriarchal society, that would have been a great uh, barrier. But she doesn't let that barrier stand in the way. She doesn't let the fact that Jesus is trying to keep it a secret either. He's trying to hide out in the house, get some rest, keep things on the, on the down low. And then she, it says as soon as she found out that he was there, she rushes off to get her concern dealt with. Faith does not let things stand in my way. Trusting Jesus, she, she knew he was the answer to her difficulties. She knew I have to get to him no matter what. I have to cross every river. I have to get past every obstacle. I have to get to him. And as soon as she gets to him, she falls at his feet. So she doesn't take, she doesn't allow the detours to get in the way. And she doesn't, you know, the other thing that, that, you, do, that you don't see her faith doing is when Jesus says, we can't take the children's bread. We can't take, we can't take the grace that we're giving to God's people. And what, what he's drawing upon here isn't, he's, he's not, as it were, in I want to I say this in a way that doesn't lose its power. There's a sense where he's insulting her, but he's not insulting her. And what I, what I want to linger on for a minute is he's not, he's not insulting her. He's using, a, he's using a, an, an epithet, an insulting phrase from the day, from the current day in which he lived. Greeks were understood to be, they, it was a common it was a common hateful phrase that Jews would speak of when it, they would talk of the Greeks. Greek dogs, they were called. Greek dogs. Because dogs weren't like, the, they weren't like what we have. Dogs in the day of Jesus, weren't, they, weren't, they weren't these lovable little pets that sit at your feet. They were, they were ravenous and scoundrels and scavengers in the, in the community. And so they, what the Jews were saying of this, the reason that this was an insulting phrase is because they're, they're calling them these, these sort of rabid, ravenous, um, scavenging animals. And so Jesus draws upon this phrase, as it were, to understand her faith. And, she, and he says, Shall we take the bread from the children, God's people, God's children, and give it to the dogs? And what we see her faith, what we see in her faith is that she doesn't deny it. She doesn't deny Jesus' assessment of her. She doesn't say, well, no, wait a minute. No, 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 Jesus, I'm not, I'm not one of those dogs. I'm not, you've, you've got me all wrong. 
She doesn't hold back from Jesus' assessment. And really, when we come to Christ in faith, when we, when we, when we come to him in, uh, uh, to encounter him, to, to understand his grace, to, to, to have a, a, a relationship with him, there, there, is a, there is a huge sense that we have to be able to agree with what the scriptures and with what God and with what Jesus says about the condition of our human hearts. And the condition, that's really what, that's really what, uh, what repentance is. Repentance is to agree with God's assessment of the darkness of our condition. And not to go, there's no, you know, I'm going to say this, but then you're going to, you're going to, you're going to respond, um, you're going to push back against me. There's no yes, but in this passage. But if you look at the passage, there is actually a literal yes, but. She says, yes, Jesus, but. But the but she doesn't have in this passage is she's not saying, yes, Jesus, I'm, uh, I agree with you, but I'm not as bad as you think I am. Faith cannot, there is, no, there is no yes, but in faith with Jesus. There is no yes, but in, in a relationship with Christ. We don't come to Christ and go, yes, I'm a sinner, but not as bad as I think, as bad as you think. I'm not, yes, I am guilty of these things, but not guilty of the others. Because we, we know, and Jesus has said, and the, and the scriptures teach us that if we, if we break one part of God's law, if we offend in one aspect, let's say of the Ten Commandments, we offend in every aspect. We offend in every aspect. If I... If I If I, if I break one part of the law, one, one code, I've, I've destroyed every element. And so when Jesus is calling her a dog, when Jesus is saying, this is who you are, she doesn't, she doesn't deny that's who she is. And there's a sense where he's, he's not insulting her as much as he's exploring the level of her, her condition. Do you be, what do you believe about yourself? What do you believe your condition is? What do you believe your, you know, your assessment, your own personal assessment is? I've been in, I've been in uh, many counseling situations with husbands and wives or, with, or with, uh, with people who are struggling with various aspects of their lives. And often, most of what counseling is is exploring a person's life and trying to, trying to bring clarity to their situation, trying to be a, a, a sounding board to bring clarity to what they're seeing and how they're assessing. Because often when you're in the middle of it, you can't quite see things clearly. So I'm, we're try, counseling is basically bringing clarity to a, to a person or a, or a couple's situation and then bringing clarity from God's Word as to how to walk out of it, how to progress out of it. And usually early on, what we're trying to get a sense of is, okay, what kind of clarity do we need about the culpability of what's going on in the relationship? Does everybody understand their own culpability? And often, and I've, and I've probably told you this a number of times, often when, and I don't want to overgeneralize in this capacity, I, I, I relate in, in terms of the gender of this, is that often men, um, when, we have, when I have marriage counseling, often we discover that part of the presenting problem is that there's anger. There's some sort of anger or eruption or conflict, and, and, uh, and it's the man. 
who's yelling or who's, or who's being abrasive or who's being controlling or who's being in some capacity. And so the, and the outbursts. And so I'll say, typically, I'll say to the, I'll say to the, the, the man, um, so you're an angry man. He says, and often the response back is, well, I'm not really an angry man. I just, I just, I have outbursts occasionally. Do you see what's going on there? And part of what counseling is, part of what the gospel is, part of what an encounter with Jesus is, is that when Jesus says, so you're saying you're an angry person. You're a deceitful person. You're a prideful person. So you're saying that you, that you really struggle with loving others, that you, re, you, know, you really hate your neighbor, you're, that, you re, that you're racist, really, that you really, uh, that you really uh, struggle to, to, uh, to be kind. That part of what the gospel's assessment is is that when the gospel says that you are that kind of person, not just that you do those kinds of things, Because when we say that we do those kinds of things, but we're not that kind of person, what we're, what we're trying to do is elevate our sense of self. We're trying to find some dignity in the process. I'm bad, but I'm not that bad, Jesus. I need you, but I don't need you that much. Um, Bono, musical theologian. From the, uh, he was the lead singer of the gr- of of a uh, little known group called U2. He was he did an interview about his uh, about his life and about his um, music, and about his spirituality, his commitment to Christ and what he thought of him. He says this: coolness. Coolness might help you in your negotiations with people through the world, maybe but it's impossible to meet God with sunglasses on. It's impossible to meet God without abandon, without exposing yourself, without being raw. That's what we see in this passage. Jesus is, is encountering her, and he's saying, what's, what's your personal assessment? Do you see yourself as a dog? Do you see yourself as someone who is that desperately far away from God? Do you, when, when, when you are encountering the darkness of your heart, are you trying to push it, push it away and elevate it and make it not as bad? Because the, the southern writer Flannery O'Connor once said that the best way to avoid Jesus is to avoid sin. To avoid my sense of personal culpability. And she doesn't deny Jesus' assessment. She says, yeah, Jesus, I am that bad, and you don't even know the half of it. That's how bad I need you. Jesus is also sort of saying to her, and maybe not so sort of saying, he's saying to her, "Um, the bread, you don't deserve the bread. Not only is your personal assessment, uh, uh, are, you, are you a dog? Do you see yourself as, as a desperate sinner, as a darkened heart, as someone who is, who doesn't have a do problem, but has a be problem? Do you, you know what I mean when I say that? That, it, that your problem and your need for Jesus isn't because of the things that you do. 
It's because of the person that you are, at the inner part of you. That's how, that's how bad the problem is. It's not a cut. It's not an abrasion. It's cancer. We need holistic, systemic change, not just patchwork. But then he's also saying to her, can we take the children's bread? This is, this is the children's bread. This is, you don't deserve this bread. And he was right. And he's wondering, does she, what's her sense of deservedness? Does her faith come thinking, well, I'm coming, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and I'm in desperate need, so I'm in, I'm in need, and Jesus loves to give, and I'm, in a, I'm a desperate person, and I'm coming with faith, and I'm coming with a sense of being a dog, and does, don't I then get it? No. Because we can never deserve his grace. We can never deserve his grace. Grace is unmerited favor. That's the, that's the literal definition of grace. Unmerited favor. I cannot deserve it. I can, there's nothing I can do that would allow me to have it. Not in, the, not in the purity of my faith, the purity of my assessment, the purity of, my, of doing it the right way, of coming the right, in the right capacity. He gives it simply because he's gracious. He gives it simply because he loves me. Not because I deserve to have it or that you deserve to have it. He, he is the deserved one. He is the one. It's all about, and he's, and in this exchange, in this encounter with this woman, we see the, the necessity, her faith. She knows, her, she knows she doesn't deserve it. She knows she can't earn it. She knows that she can't deny who she is. And she doesn't, as it were, she doesn't diminish the nature of her, condi of her condition of her, and of her need. She is desperate. She's saying to him, by coming to him and by staying in this moment, by saying, hey, can I, I, I'm willing, I'm willing, I'm willing, you are so gracious. You are so amazing. I don't, I don't, I don't need the bread. I just need a, I just need a crumb. I, the crumbs from your table are all I need. I'm desperate. I'm desperate to have any morsel of you, any, any scrap from your table. I will take whatever I can get from you, this man I love, this man I'm fascinated by. And Jesus says, that faith, that's faith, that's faith. Go, go. It's done. It's done. And she does not delay. She does not wait around to say, well, what do you mean? Well, how can I know? Well, what do you think? Uh, uh, you know, are you sure? The same, the same faith, the same trust, the same, the same abandon she had that got her to the feet of Jesus, crossing all those barriers, as soon as he said... She got up and ran home and knew what she was going to find. She found exactly what she expected, her daughter resting easily on her bed, 
free from the demons. Free from the demons. Trusting. This is, the, this, is the, this is what faith is. Faith trusts. Faith steps. Faith becomes not just here. It's not just something that's here. And something that's here, it's something that is here. It's, I'm, I, I take steps towards it. I move in the direction. I put the weight of my life and my decisions. I put the weight of my, of my hope and of my, uh, of my actions on the faith I have in him. I step into it. It isn't just something I hold on to in my head. Faith, faith to be faith is functional. It functions in my life and in yours. Functioned in hers. What would possibly, how do you, how do you get this kind of faith? You, you, can't, you can't, as it were, sort of work up to it. You can't, it's not something that, it's not some, it, these, this is all a very beautiful faith. It's a very beautiful encounter with Jesus. It's, a, it's, a, it's an utter abandon that, that, is, that is beautiful to watch. We see it in the next story. A man comes to Jesus, brought to Jesus, and they say, touch him and make him whole. They've seen Jesus do these sorts of things. But then we see this, and you, and you, and you, uh, you sort of understand why Mark included this story. It's weird. It's this weird moment with Jesus where, he's, where he takes the guy aside and then puts his fingers in his ears and spits spits on his hands and touches his tongue and what the heck and certainly in the days post covid i i don't even want to understand any of that i don't know what is going on there and it is a little unclear and the commentators so we're not quite sure what was going on but to the best of our knowledge there's some what we do see what even though we can't understand all the necessary details of whether this was a cultural thing but what we do understand what we can see in this moment is that jesus is having an intimate encounter with this man he's touching him he's having some intimate exchange a mingling of themselves together. It's, it's almost a communion experience. There's almost this sense of where he and, and, the, he and the man are, are engaged in this, in this blending. And he, and, he, and he looks to heaven and he sighs deeply. He sighs deeply. Out of love, out of, out of grief, out of a knowledge of what this man, the brokenness that this man has experienced. And then he simply says, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was unleashed, and he began to speak plainly and clearly. And the people, in the end, the people said, even the deaf hear and the mute speak. Isaiah said hundreds of years earlier, say to those, this is God speaking to Isaiah, telling him what to tell the people. Hundreds of years before the time of Jesus. Say to those people with fearful hearts, be strong. 
do not fear. Your God, your God will come to you. He will come to you with a vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to you and he will save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue will shout for joy. Jesus is fulfilling the promise of Isaiah and the people saw it. God has come. God has come. The leap, the, the lame are leaping for joy. The, the blind are seeing. The, the, the ears of the deaf are open wide. The mouths of the, of the dumb are speaking and, and singing praises of joy. God has come. He's here. He's come to save. He's come, to, he's come with a vengeance. There's this a deep sigh, a deep sigh of grief, of, of determination, a, grief, of, a, a, a deep sigh of, of, of engagement, an intimate connection with his people to say, I will become what you are and so that you can become what I am and leap for joy and sing for joy. When you see that in the Savior, Your faith does not deny, does not deserve, does not diminish, and it does not delay to fall at his feet and rush to do his will. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you have come to save. You've come with a vengeance, with a determination, with your, with your heart set like flint to the cross, to become, to become our payment. Father, I pray that you would, that you would overwhelm us, astonish us with this truth and unleash, open our ears to hear it, open our eyes to see you, unstop our tongues to sing your praise that we might leap into this world with joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.